The Start On Demand. On demand. Mayor Brian Bowman joined us live on The Start this morning to answer questions about City Councillor Vivian Santos and whether or not she should be removed as acting deputy mayor. Most of our listeners, some came to the mayor's defense, but most of our listeners were none too pleased with his answers. Bob Irving, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joined us to talk about Winnipeg being chosen as the CFL hub city should a season get underway. And what were your favorite school supplies when you were a kid? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and a vacationing Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, July 22nd podcast for The Start. Thank you very much, Tristan Field-Jones, Mackling, and McGarry. McNabb is on vacation. A jam-packed show this morning, including a visit from one Mayor Brian Bowman at 7.45. And uh, Greg, uh, we only get about 10 minutes with him, but I think we could probably spend about a half hour with him today with all the various questions that our listeners want answered this morning. Yeah, there's no question about that, Brett. And if you were tuned into the news yesterday, all sorts of conversation, not only about Vivian Santos and whether or not she should step aside as acting deputy mayor now that her ability to serve on the police board has been uh, resolved and the fact that uh, she failed a a security clearance check which uh, disqualified her from being a member of that board now with the revelations uh, presented here on, on CJOB and Global News with regard to her, her connection to, to friends in the past who uh, are are alleged to be uh, up to no good. Um, does, she, does she need to step aside or does the mayor need to make a change? With regard to that appointment, we'll hear from Marcus Chambers and City, uh, pardon me, Sherry Rollins, who are uh, city councillors. They were visiting with Richard and Julie yesterday. Uh, we'll ask that question. Starlight Developments, Portage Place. Uh, so many people anxious to see that part of the city, that uh, particular development move ahead. Are we any closer to making that happen? And uh, all sorts of other things. Uh, half an hour. I think we could do an hour with the mayor today without any difficulty whatsoever. Didn't that actually happen to you once when you were filling in for, uh, <laughs> was it uh, Jeff Courier? Jeff Courier. Oh, my gosh. It was uh, summer of, boy, I want. I can't even remember. It's got to be seven years ago. But I uh, came out of the studio after the segment at 9 o'clock and Mayor Sam Cates was sitting in what we affectionately refer to as the green room. I said, oh, good morning, Mr. Cates. Uh, Who are you here to see? I'm here to see you. (laughs) We had a whole hour with the mayor and that was not communicated to me. And uh, yeah, just went right back into the studio and uh, sat down and took calls and and had a chit chat. Uh, Boy, do I relish those days of of having those conversations. I think we had a text message just yesterday, Brett, somebody wishing that we had that um, monthly sit-down breakfast with the Premier that used to take place uh, with the previous, pre- previous Premier on CJOB. Um, but uh, 
that that's not likely to come to fruition. No, no, it's not. Uh, I believe we've spoken to uh, Brian Pallister once on uh, this program, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he liked how it went. So it's been a while since he's been back. <laughs> yes, I, I guess we could invite him back. Yeah. And, you know, we could do that. Yeah, talk. He likes talking about movies. He, you know, he he and Clay Young have had some spirited conversations about movies. So maybe he can be a guest on the Couch Potatoes. Um, also today, of course, we're going to talk about the CFL choosing Winnipeg as the hub city. Bob Irving is going to join us at 637. But of course, we also need to talk about phase four as the province could be rolling back restrictions in a big way, announcing the phase four draft plan yesterday. Several COVID-19 related health restrictions could be lifted as early as this Saturday. The proposal could see casinos, movie theaters, and live theater open at half capacity. Restrictions would also be loosened for faith-based gatherings, retail outlets, and personal care homes. The province is also considering removing the 14-day self-isolation requirement for people arriving in Manitoba from all all areas of Canada, including Southern Ontario and Quebec. Boy, oh boy. Um, If Twitter is the ultimate form of our democracy, uh, people are not happy about this. And it's not. If it is, (laughs) people are punting this one right back. You know, not all of these changes, but the biggest one, that I'm hearing and not just on Twitter, but conversation with friends. Uh, and I suspect this is the one that most people are going to have a hard time with, including myself personally. I don't understand easing these restrictions uh, for people coming from Southern Ontario and Quebec. That is still the hotbed of Canada in terms of COVID-19. And in fact, some of the people we've been talking to, listeners interacting with us over the last several days, Brett, are wondering if we move too quickly to expand the bubble to Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. We're having our own issues here in Manitoba with regard to keeping our numbers down to where they were. Understood that once we started to open up things, our numbers would go up. But there's genuine concern from people that we acted too quickly on the Western Canada thing and now to add Ontario and to Quebec to the mix. That's not going over really well as far as I can tell. So again, this could be happening as early as this weekend. That caught many people off guard, including some experts. Global's Joe Scarpelli has more on that. Good morning, everybody. A major announcement from Manitoba's Premier. We're going to be carefully moving forward in our recovery efforts to restart our economy. Beginning as early as Saturday, the province could enter phase four of its reopening plan, which would include increasing gathering sizes, opening casinos and movie theaters with limitations, and lifting travel restrictions across Canada. I would say to those who are afraid, I'm afraid too. I'm afraid too. But I'm not going to let fear rule my life, and I won't. I'd ask you not to let fear rule yours. But phase four comes as coronavirus cases and positive test rates are on the rise in Manitoba. I'm a bit surprised. Uh, I think we all were kind of caught off guard with it. Infectious disease expert Dr. Jason Kinderchuk says lifting the 14-day self-isolation period for travelers coming from COVID-19 hotspots worries him, adding the conversation about masks needs to be solid. Maybe they're not ready to be mandated, but certainly the messaging I think needs to be fairly clear and fairly strong. 
strong. From my perspective... Meanwhile, epidemiologist Cynthia Carr doesn't feel we're ready to gamble on reopening casinos, especially if it's going to attract seniors. Within that casino, there'll be challenges with the ongoing cleanliness, the distancing from side to side, forward and backward, the groups that might want to go there, and the walking around from game to game and how that will be managed. Manitobans will be able to weigh in on the new plan. A telephone town hall is being held Wednesday, or you can fill out a survey at engagemb.ca. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. Now, phase four comes at a time when cases continue to climb. Twelve new cases of COVID-19 were identified in Manitoba yesterday. The total number now sits at 366 with 41 active. Health officials say the high case count reflects the outbreak on several Hutterite colonies and some international travel-related cases. And you can get details on cjob.com, flight-specific details, as one of those cases was related to a flight from Australia that finished in Winnipeg on July 6th. And indeed, Greg, uh, when I saw that uh, 12 new cases yesterday, uh, I'm starting to raise an eyebrow here, uh, especially when it was coinciding with the Phase 4 announcement. Well, I got to tell you, uh, Dr. Kinderchuk and, of course, Cynthia Carr, two experts that we've drawn on consistently here at 680 CJOB since the beginning of that pandemic. You heard them both in Joe Scarpelli's report, and they're both raising eyebrows, different aspects of this plan. Uh, to me, that uh, allows me permission to raise uh, both my eyebrows on this because uh, it, it feels uh, too much too soon uh, on a couple of different fronts. Thank you very much, Tristan Field-Jones. Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on vacation. One of the things we're going to be talking about throughout the day here on 680 CJOB, back-to-school planning during increasing COVID numbers. And on the fun side, because we like to take some stuff that we're talking about on a serious note, but also have some fun with it. So when it comes to thinking about back-to-school, I always hated Hated going back to school. Hated seeing the commercials on TV. They always started running them way too soon. Like, we just started summer vacation and you're already advertising back to school. I don't (laughs) want to think about school for two months. Well, I will admit that getting my new batch of school supplies was always fun. So we want to ask you the question at 204-780-6868. What was your favorite school supply? And give us a story attached to it. And we're going to pick... A winner for today's Santa Lucia pizza from our text at 204-780-6868. So we'll do that at 9.15. We'll crown our winner for that. So start sharing your stories, and we'll have a conversation about it in our next segment. I still, I actually still have some of my, some of my old school crap. I am from such, when? Uh, like grade four. I think I've got a box. Yeah, I'm a hoarder, man. I gotta go through my stuff and and purge. But we start this half hour uh, with football. As Winnipeg has tentatively been chosen as the hub city for a possible 2020 season, pending final approval from health and safety officials in Manitoba, the CFL says the selection was made by a committee of CFL team presidents from teams not among those bidding to host the season. Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and Calgary had all made a bid to be named the league's hub city amid the coronavirus pandemic. So a couple of questions. What still needs to happen for the CFL season to become a reality? Wade Miller, president and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club, fills us in. Well, a lot of work. Uh, obviously, we still need uh, support from the federal government and, and uh, uh, work on an agreement with our players. And then uh, 
the work really begins in our province and city to get ready to, uh, you know, have nine CFL teams here doing their entire season in training camp. So a lot of work uh, to get ready and work with the hotels and all the different venues that we'd use for practice and IG field. You know, we've been working really well with our players and very positive of where we're headed. Um, but there's a lot of work to do. And uh, everybody's committed to finding a way to get our players on the field this year. Is there a timeline on this? Well, players, federal government, you know, we we uh, really need to figure that out, uh, you know, this week, actually. And uh, there's, there's a lot of work and uh, timing that goes into, uh, you know, players isolating in their homes uh, in the United States and different things that need to happen from a safety perspective that require us to get moving right away on it. Richard Cluche sneaking into that clip there. An agreement with the players and support from the federal government. Some might say either of those tasks, if achieved separately, would be an achievement on their own. Can they get both done? Bob Irving is the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers right here on CGOB. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. Well, so two, some might say monumental tasks required in order to attempt a monumental task of its own, hosting an entire season, although substantially shortened, uh, in our city. Let's start with the players. Are they going to play ball, Bob? Well, I heard yesterday, Greg, that uh, they were getting close to a deal, the, the league and the players, on an amended 2020 collective bargaining agreement. I'm not so sure the league is insisting any more on a new CBA for 2021. I think, uh, you know, they'd settle for an agreement with the players for how everything's going to unfold this year. So I was skeptical that they could get this done, but uh, I'm told that they're getting closer by the minute and they have until tomorrow. They've set Thursday as a deadline, but if they were close on Thursday at midnight, I expect they extend it to Friday. And I know they've been working on the federal government money, the $42 million that uh, they hope will help make this thing work for quite a while, for a number of weeks. And I believe it's to some degree contingent upon an agreement with the players. So I think that federal money, again, based on what I've been told, is not far behind an agreement that the league would reach with the players. So it looks to me like it's becoming more and more feasible Virtually by the hour, I, you know, I, I've said, I think all along, I didn't think it was any better than a 50-50 chance they could pull this off. And they're still not there yet, but they're certainly getting closer. A lot of Manitobans say this plan to bring people from all over North America kind of flies in the face of the work that's been done to keep our COVID-19 numbers relatively low. I mean, the logistics of keeping the players, but more importantly, uh, the community at large healthy. So uh, what do you think of all this? Well, I understand that argument, Brett. I, you know, I, I, there's no way you could poo-poo those feelings that, that people have about that sort of thing. I know the borders were opened uh, to the other provinces in Canada some time ago. I think it was important yesterday what Wade Miller said, that, that players coming from the U.S. will, in fact, be tested before they leave their homes, and they will be asked to isolate once they get here. Uh, you know, beyond that, I don't know what measures could be taken to to make sure that uh, players, particularly from the U.S., aren't bringing COVID-19 in here. But again, I I certainly understand that you know the argument against it. I think a couple of things that have to be factored in, and I go back to what Dr. Rusin said a few weeks ago. 
Uh, and this is the doctor speaking, not anybody else. He said, you know, at some point we all have to learn that we're going to have to take some risks with this thing if we're going to get uh, our world moving again. And if they can pull this hub city concept off, it's going to inject a tremendous amount of money into the Manitoba economy with the hotels and and the you know the hospitality industry, and that'll be good for the province. The economic impact will be significant. So I think there are some pluses, but uh, I would never uh, say to people that uh, who are concerned about the health aspect of it that they shouldn't be concerned. Although, again, Dr. Rusin has to approve this, and we all know how cautiously he's moved along. And you know, he's certainly not a reckless individual. I don't think anybody could accuse him of that. So. I guess, uh, Brad, if the health authorities say, uh, you know, it's safe to do it and the risks are very minimal based on the measures the league is going to take, you know, I think you have to, you know, you have to take them at their word to a degree. All right. Well, let's move past that uh, because we have lots of time to talk about it and that discussion isn't going away, Bob. But what will the schedule look like? What will the season look like? How many games are we talking about? And uh, as was discussed Earlier in the iteration, the proposal by the CFL in a situation where a, a truncated season took place, the sort of the, the team with the best record in the Grey Cup would host the Grey Cup. Well, if this goes ahead, the Grey Cup most definitely will be in Winnipeg. When yeah. will that be? Well, it'll probably be December. Those details uh, have not been worked out yet, Greg, in terms of when the season would start. We've heard all along that you know, training camps would open, what, in the middle of August, maybe later in August, uh, and then the, the games would begin at some point the first, second week of September, maybe even a little bit later than that. Uh, and then, it, you know, they're going to play six games. I know that for sure. It'll be six games. How they determine uh, who your six opponents are, because there's nine teams in this league, so you won't play everybody. I'm not sure that they've nailed that down yet. If they have, they haven't said anything about it. Uh, and then they'll go into playoffs. Eight of the nine teams, the top eight, will make the playoffs. Only the ninth place team will not make the playoffs. So they'll have a, you know, a few more playoff games for players uh, getting a chance to earn some some playoff bonus money. Um, and they'll probably play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But television will dictate that. Uh, it'll be TSN that tells them when they're going to play because they have to fit it into their, you know, their schedule. So. That's the way uh, I see it unfolding. Grey Cup game probably in December, <laughs> and it's always in late November. Uh, so if you're a week into December, you know I guess the weather risk does heighten for sure, uh, but it wouldn't be that much later than it normally is. Bob Irving joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk some football. Bob, always a pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, guys. Mackling and McGarry McNabb on vacation. Eve, by the way, texted us yesterday morning to say there was a red, red Dodge pickup truck doing 150 along, I think it was the south perimeter, and he says, Lenny Leadfoot is at it again. Oh, it's not that particular truck. Multiple cars doing probably 130 on the perimeter, proof that there is no enforcement at rush hour. So just watch out for that if you are on the perimeter this morning. And, of course, let us know what you're seeing when it's safe to do so. 204-780-6868. Talking back to school today uh, because... 
You know, increasing COVID numbers, back-to-school planning has to be top of mind for many of us here in southern Manitoba. So we want to have a fun conversation about back-to-school right now, and we're getting already inundated with text messages at 204-780-6868. What was your favorite school supply? Greg, I don't know about you, I hated going back to school, but I liked getting the school supplies. Yeah, I think I would count myself under that same description. I, I wasn't particularly keen on going back to school after having a tremendous summer and having two months off, but I did love doing the shopping and getting all the new items that were on the list. Uh, parents hate that list, don't they? But I used to love crossing it off and then you'd stack everything nicely. It's, like, it's a fresh start. Who doesn't like a fresh start? Yeah, for sure. So let's go around the horn here. Trish. Tristan Field-Jones is here. Kelly Moore is here. Uh, Jeff Forte is here. Now, Kelly, if Jeff Braun were here, <laughs> yeah, uh, you yeah. know there would be a joke about, uh, you know. The chisel and the stone tablet. <laughs> I didn't even have to say it. <laughs> but I was actually I was actually going to go with that out of respect to, uh, to Jeff, who's on vacation this week. <laughs> okay, well, seriously, what is your favorite or what was your favorite? Uh, well, I always liked the pencils, and I think they were the HB lead because they were the darker lead. Uh, but ever since I can remember, I have always had a fascination with pens. I absolutely love a good pen. So that was the thing that I always looked forward to the most was uh, getting a, a pencil that wrote in nice dark lead and then a pen that just allowed free-flowing fro- uh, free written copy yeah and rudy actually says uh, my favorite was a fancy pencil in funky colors with an eraser top uh, but the lead would break all the time as you would sharpen them uh i've never actually i've always wanted like a fancy pen like an actual like a, a fancy pen that you can refill uh, but i never get around to buying it jeff forte what about you um, I'm going to have to say the zip-up binder. I think I the first, got them first uh, in grade 7. But they're just so cool because, like, you could zip them up, zip them closed. There's there's compartments. So I always found that really fascinating. Besides that, I'd like to say the eraser. Just an eraser. Just because I like to scribble with my uh, pencil. Yeah. And then I'd, like, write my name with the eraser and the pencil and... Oh, so you would scribble, uh, but you would, like, fill like, out a, like a chunk? Black, yeah, black out, like, a good chunk of the paper, and I'd write my name with the eraser. Oh, interesting. So you, like, reverse-engineered writing. Yeah. Look at that. TFJ, Tristan Field-Jones. You know, it's funny, Brett, when you sent the email earlier today, and, and it says, you know, going back to school always sucked, but it was always fun getting a new batch of school supplies. Brett, my first reaction was, wow, you are a colossal nerd. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I will say this, as uh, someone who was a nerd in school myself, I hated going back to school for for um, shopping for supplies. I just, I, I didn't really have my favorite supplies. It was just another reminder that summer was ending and... Uh, that my vac- two-month-long vacation was almost over. So I'll be honest, I really didn't care about uh, getting any school supplies even into high school. So you didn't, you never enjoyed a single one of your school supplies? No, no, not really. Although, granted, <laughs> I, must, I must admit that gel pens, uh, you know, Forte, you'd probably remember this, the gel yeah, pen craze. Uh, those were kind of cool, but now that I look back at them, it's, it was really dumb. So, no, I don't enjoy anything. They had a weird... <laughs> <laughs> That's the line right there. I don't enjoy anything. Mm-hmm. The, the, those pens always had a weird smell to them. What are you well, doing you, smelling you, your pens? If you lick them, maybe, Jeffrey. You're not oh, supposed to. Oh, gosh. No, I just remember they had a weird smell. <laughs> what? Uh, what are you talking about? G-Mac. They smelled weird. What was, <laughs> what was yours, Greg? 
I don't know if I can put this conversation back on the rails, but I'm going to try. Uh, I'm with Danny, who uh, texted us uh, very simply, Laurentian uh, pencil crayons or colored pencils. Uh, You always had to sort of, uh, the teacher would assign you when you could go to the back of the classroom and sharpen all your pencils. At the, at, the, at the community pencil sharpener and crank it up and, and do all that. So that was always fun. I love that. But I was always jealous of the people who got the 24-pack because I only got the 12-pack. But if you had the 24-pack, you had all the different colors, the tan and the, and the different hues of red and the different oranges and that sort of thing. So the Laurentian uh, colored pencils were awesome. And I'm old enough, Kelly, you probably remember doing this as well, taking paper bags, bringing them from home, and covering your textbooks to protect the covers. And me being a big doodler, it was just a perfect, I loved doodling on the paper bags. So uh, those are the memories that always jump out for me whenever we have a discussion like this. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is on vacation. You know, Greg, we've been speaking at length recently about, uh, you know, I mentioned that I take the south perimeter all the time uh, from Keniston up to 3.30. That's the turnoff for LaSalle because that's where I go to play golf. And the speed limit is 80. But so many people blow past me as though I'm standing still. And Eve has been reporting that he's seeing drivers the last couple of days on the perimeter doing upwards of 150. Well, we got a text here from DJ. That reads as follows. As the parent of Ethan Boyer, who was killed at the perimeter and Brady Road October 25th due to inattentive driving and lack of respect to others on the road, hearing all these speeders on the perimeter makes me sad and mad. I realize the area may not be exactly the same, but it doesn't matter. The complete recklessness and disregard for human life makes me sick. These idiots think it won't happen to them and just don't care about anyone else. Mark me as disappointed today, to say the least. I miss my boy Ethan every day. That's from Ethan's dad, Dana. So Dana, thank you so much for, for reaching out to us and... Slow down. What, what else can I say? Slow down. The speed limit's been lowered in that stretch in large part due to what happened to Ethan. And um, people are ignoring. They are ignoring that 80 kilometer an hour zone. Um, just don't do it. There's a reason that it's there. People are, are trying to keep one another safe. We're trying to keep you safe. We're trying to keep each other safe. Plain and simple. I don't know if he's at the office or from his home in Charleswood. Are you at home oh, or at the I'm office, at the office. Mayor Bowman? <laughs> oh, wow. I'm at early work, riser. Early. Gotta There's love a lot it. To do. Yeah, well, you've got lots on your plate. And so yeah, we spent, yeah. uh, you know, five or six minutes uh, setting this up. So let's, uh, in the immortal words of Peter Warren, let's get right down to business. Sure. So uh, here's the question. And we, we promised uh, now that she's failed her security background check, making her ineligible for the police board. Should you remove City Councilor Vivian Santos as acting deputy mayor? You know, look, I mean, right now we're, we're dealing with the police board and, and I'll, I'll speak to, the, to your question as well. Um, but right now, one of the things that is unique to the police board, um, members of council, committee chairs, council liaisons, deputy mayor, acting deputy mayor, 
um, and, and other positions at City Hall uh, that I appoint and that council appoints are not subject to police background checks. The Winnipeg Police Board is unique. The rules have been in place for many, many years that require a police board check. Um, I certainly support that. I want to ensure that anyone who serves on the police board has to pass a background check. It shouldn't be different for, for anyone that wants to serve there. And, and that's something that, that I'll continue to, uh, to support. What was your reaction when you first learned about a possible connection between Councillor Santos and her husband and a drug investigation? Well, look, I mean, I, I, in my role as mayor, I, I, I try to base my, my decisions and my actions based on, on what I know and, and facts that, that I can confirm. Um, and this isn't to criticize the, the role of the media or, or chorus, of course, but um, what I know of, of the councillors, she cares passionately about her family and about her community. And uh, I also know that she, she hasn't been able to pass that security check. And so that's something I, I've, I've certainly uh, said privately as well as publicly that another option could be um, consenting to having the RCMP conduct the search, given that she's raised concerns about the police service. And, uh, and that option uh, remains available to her. But, um, but she, and, and, and I would say this for anybody that wants to serve on the police board, um, you know, she received unanimous consent from, from the councillors that voted uh, to uh, to appoint her to the police board, but you got to pass a police board check. Yeah, there's a whole other level of scrutiny here, and and you've acknowledged yeah. that that is something that needs to be in place. Uh, you said you'd answer the question about keeping her in place as acting deputy mayor. Is that also not uh, a position that requires uh, some sort of uh, higher achievement? There, that, that's a reward there for somebody. Does that does that not? Um, need to be reviewed in your mind, Mayor Bowman? Well, none, none of the appointments that I make are, are permanent, that's for sure. And, and I'll, I'll continue to, to base my appointments and, and decisions about appointments based on, on facts that I'm able to confirm and information as it becomes available. So right now, I'm not, uh, not changing her status uh, as acting deputy mayor. Um, it's not one of those positions like the council liaison positions, uh, like committee chairs uh, or members. Uh, that requires that police background check, uh, but like I said, these uh, these appointments uh, they do come and go from time to time, and I'll I'll make decisions in due course if necessary. When did you find out about this possible connection? Well, I've I've seen some of the media reports, um, and that's and and that's that's you know all, all I can say. Um, Councillor Santos did did uh, reach out to me and other members of council uh, to let us know that she had failed the security check. Uh, something that is a requirement and uh, appreciated her reaching out to, to me and all members of council. And, uh, you know, and like I said, I, I'm, I, I'm sure I have no doubt that listeners and, and CJOB will have strong opinions about this matter. Um, I'm trying to be as responsible as I can in the role that I'm in to base my decisions on what I can confirm and, and what I know to be true. And, and as, as that changes, I'll, I'll base my decisions uh, accordingly. Are you disappointed in this outcome, Mayor Bowman? You, you've known Vivian Santos not only as a city councillor, uh, but she worked for you in the past. This is someone you've known for a long time. Well, like, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm going to base my, my decisions and my comments based on, on, uh, on what I can confirm. I mean, uh, I, right now, uh, what we're talking about is, is media reports and, and unnamed sources. So I'm I'm obviously, I'm going to choose my words carefully, be out of deference to what I can confirm. Um, you haven't what spoken I, what to I can say, Councillor Santos then, Mayor Bowman? I have, have you had a yeah. conversation with her about this? 
Yes, absolutely. And she's been she's been in dialogue with other members of council as well. And and um, and I'll be having additional dialogue with her uh, in the coming days and weeks as well. Um, the one thing that I I've encouraged her to consider is really having having an alternate police service. Uh, I mean, she's she's raised concerns about having the service that is is under the authority of the police board conduct the searches. I understand those concerns. I think one one way to to mitigate those concerns is to is to consider having an alternate police service like the RCMP uh, conduct the search. But going back to you know her her appointment on, on the police services board, and and I would say this again: doesn't matter who the individual is, they got to pass a police board check uh, or police police background check. I mean that that is something I think Winnipeggers should expect given the sensitivity of the information that is provided in the course of that board's work, and, and that's paramount to me. Does being acquaintances with a person who's been charged with drug trafficking raise any red flags for being on council in general? I mean, Marcus Chambers thinks so, based on that first vehicle being seized. Well, like, like I said, I'm, I'm going to base my comments on, on information that I can confirm, not just uh, based on, on media reports. And so um, as, as, as I can confirm more facts, and I'll have absolutely more to say, guys. But, in, right, ge- but in, in general, though, if in the event that there were there there was a situation, would that not raise a red flag for you? Well, like I said, I mean, if you're asking a hypothetical question, I'll I'll answer that when the facts are are, are there, and I'm not going to weigh in on on what ifs right now. And so, I, I I appreciate you asking the question. Take no offense to it, guys, but um, I'm I'm obviously trying to base my comments on on what we know, and what we know is she failed a background check. I'm saying you got to pass one if you want to serve on the police board, um, as far as I'm concerned. And those are the rules that have been in place for some time. And, and like I said, I'll, I'll continue to have dialogue with, with Councillor Santos, and I'll let her speak for herself. Okay, well, she's chosen not to do that at this point, so we'll, we'll, we'll continue to yeah. uh, ask questions and, and the reaction, because there have been a lot of city councillors who stood up for for councillor santos and uh we've asked them if this revelation this potential conversation is changing their mind and uh well people are dancing around the subject yeah. and it's uh it's a little frustrating and I, I, I and i hear you <laughs> trust me i do i mean look it's, it's an approach that i've taken in the past when when questions or concerns have been raised about other members of council some of whom have not been fans of mine and i i've tried to take a responsible approach to base my decisions on appointments, um, as well as just general support or, or, or comments about members of council based on what we know. I mean, we had a we had a councillor that was charged last term, and um, you know, I was measured. I tried to be measured in my comments at the time. Those charges were ultimately stayed, and um, you know, we we have other situations where questions are, are raised about councillors. But again, um, I'll, I'll base my comments and I'll base my actions on on facts as I can as I can confirm them. And, and I'll have more to say in due course. And I'm, I, I, I don't take any, uh, any offense whatsoever to you asking the questions. I know you guys are doing your job. Very good. And we, we've got a couple of minutes here, so we do need to switch sure. gears uh, to Starlight and the redevelopment of Portage Place as all levels of government continue to debate, handing out more cash. The plan, as it was introduced and passed by EPC last week, at $5 million in support. Uh, are you going to offer more support to Starlight, or do you expect a motion to come forward from another councillor to offer Starlight more? 
I do. Um, so let, let, maybe I'll just let listeners know. I mean, so the um, the purchase of, of Portage Place uh, by Starlight was for about $69 million. We, we later learned there is obviously a request for $60 million from all combined support from all three levels of government, $20 million each. Uh, the province has stepped up with more than what was initially requested by the developer with $28.7 million. Um, it's an important project. I know the developer applauded that level of support. Councillor Gilroy is the local councillor. She's also the chair of our property and development committee. I've been working with her and other members of council have been in dialogue with her. You can't expect an amendment to come forward at council tomorrow, upping our support to $11.3 million so that the combined prov- provincial and city support meets the $40 million that's been requested by the developer. And so provided that's passed by council, uh, obviously all eyes will, will shift to the federal government to see if they will meet the $20 million request from the developer. It's, a, it's an important and I think it's a potentially transformative development for our downtown. And uh, you can absolutely expect to see, uh, see dialogue on the floor of council tomorrow uh, for the additional support of $11.3 million. Well, that's obviously good news. Uh, lots of people comparing this development to True North Square and the and the amount of money that the city has pledged to make True North Square a reality and what you've pledged even with this uh, new amount that you're just sharing with us now, Mayor Bowman, uh, pales in comparison. Well, look, what we do is you look at you look at each development and the request. You also have to look at what the community benefit is. And so we had a a return on investment analysis conducted. It's been made public. And uh, that that assessment showed that the return on investment to municipal coffers for this for this uh, investment was under $5 million. And so um, obviously, if we're going to step up our support, we're, we're going to look to see what can the community get. Uh, there will be there will be an additional ask as part of this additional support for uh, for housing. Um, and, and those details, uh, Councillor Gilroy can speak to uh, today and, and tomorrow, of course. Um, but we're, we're going to look to see what we can do and try to meet that $40 million ask for a project that, if it goes ahead, I think will be good for our downtown and good for our city. Mayor Brian Bowman. I guess we got to go. We are out Sorry of time, fresh that. out of time, Mr. Mayor. Thank you so much for joining okay. us as always. And as no you problem. surmised, our listeners are weighing in with an opinion or, <laughs> or two. I have, I have no doubt. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Mayor Talk Brian Bowman. You later. Have a great day. You too, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is on vacation. If you missed our conversation with Mayor Brian Bowman that started at 746, go to cjob.com, find it in the audio vault. We got an avalanche of text messages, and I'll read one that I think sums up how you feel about what the mayor had to say. This one from Joanne, who says, Come on, Mayor, are you ever going to put your big boy pants on? Do you even own a pair? Thank you for your feedback, and we also thank the mayor for joining us to answer our questions. And uh, I would suggest, I mean, as far as his pants go, he he has a pretty snappy wardrobe, so I'll give him that. And again, uh, you can go to cjob.com, find it in the audio vault, or subscribe to the podcast for the start, and it will certainly be in there. A couple of days ago, Greg, boss sends me a note to set up this next chat involving something called PD Avengers. So me, being the nerd that I am, said anything involving the word Avengers is something I can get on board with, especially when it includes the man with whom we are about to speak. Well, I suggest it's just plain and simply good marketing in that case 
Today is World Brain Day, and as Brett mentioned, there is an exciting new initiative called PD Avengers, which aims to help those with Parkinson's. Our guest is Winnipeg's own Tim Haig Sr. Tim, good morning, sir. Good morning, Greg. Brett, how are you doing? We're doing well. We, we appreciate always, first of all, the work that you do to raise awareness with regards to Parkinson's and those who deal with it. You are in that group. Tell us what is... Who are the PD Avengers? Well, first of all, thank you for those kind words. I deeply appreciate that. And the PD Avengers, we are a global alliance of advocates who are pledged to take action in ending PD. We're a bunch of folks who have decided that we're going to make a bit of a ruckus is what it boils down to. Um, Parkinson's is over 200 years old, guys. 200 years old. We have one medication that effectively treats most of us, most of us, it's not available to all of us. There are places in the world where people can't get this one medication. And yet today we sit with COVID and we hear about a vaccine being available in 18 months. That just kind of turns us inside out. That for 200 years, we could come down to one medication. And in 18 months, the world can get around and say, we're going to do a, a vaccine for COVID. So we're feeling a little hard done by, and we're going to, we're going to, step up. We, we, we believe that we've been quiet too. How can I say it here? We've been too silent for too long that we need to get loud. We need to be a little bit more uncomfortable in our, in our conversations. And we need to be an ever present voice demanding change in how PD is viewed and responded to. So that in short is who the PD Avengers are. This is the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. Do we know why? That's right. No, we don't know why. And that, that's, a, that's a shame of a statement to make after so many years of this disease being, having been around. We don't really understand why it exists. We, there is strong evidence coming out now that it's environmental, that a large portion of this is we are doing to ourselves through various chemicals and solvents and things in our environment. And we feel like that there has to be more money spent on, on research, on um, on stopping this before it starts, because when you when you stop and do a little bit of research and you look at the money being spent on lots of diseases out there, Parkinson's, even though it's the number one fastest growing neurological disease in the world, there's far less money spent on it than for research than lots and lots and lots of things. And when when it comes to saying it's the fastest growing neurological condition in the world, it's soon to overtake Alzheimer's. As being number one, it, um, it it's just a it's a horrible disease. It's devastating, and we just feel like we've got to do more. We can do more, and we've got to do more. To help people. Tim, that is um, that is an overwhelming uh, fact you just shared with us. That this is Parkinson's disease is on its way to overtaking ALS as the number one neurological condition on the planet. Well, overtaking Alzheimer's, but yes. There are oh, Alzheimer's, people. excuse me, pardon me. Yeah. There's about 10 million people in the world today with, with Parkinson's disease. And that number, I, I think that number is probably soft, quite, quite honestly, because Parkinson's is so underreported in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America. There are so many parts of the world where <clears throat> Parkinson's is still seen as a, a huge stigma. The, the people who have it are seen as being um, either de uh, demonically op oppressed, possessed, 
or just crazy for whatever reason, and they're often just relegated out of society, kind of like the old lepers. So we don't really know how many are, are in the world, but the number is projected to double by 2040. So if there's 10 million today, they're looking at that number doubling by 2040. And guys, we use up a lot of services. People with Parkinson's disease are some of the heaviest users of medication and health services on the planet. We desperately need to get ahead of this tsunami that's coming. In terms of symptoms, how do you know if maybe something is up with you in terms of, like, is it is it are, is there a, such a symptom that makes you go, I might have Parkinson's, or is it a thing where you go, there's something wrong? Yeah, you know what? Parkinson's is so diverse. There are up to 40 different symptoms that an individual can exhibit. And every single one of us that have Parkinson's looks so different from one from one another. I've got buddies who don't shake at all, are stiff and rigid. I've got there are folks that are more like me who shake. That's my primary, one of my primary symptoms that I have. But then there's cognitive issues. There's bowel and bladder issues. There's people's voices are affected. We lose our ability to walk at times. There's just so many different things. So, you know, mine, it was that twitch in the toe. But no, it's really, really hard to diagnose sometimes. Tim, your voice is a powerful one. We're, we're happy to give it a platform. How can people reach out? How can they become involved? Well, there's three things I'd like to ask our audience to do today. One, become a PD Avenger. Stand with us. Join your voice to ours in this global alliance to end Parkinson's. And the way that you can do that is go to pdavengers.com. There's a little video there, five-minute video. Watch the video. It's called Why Should You Care? Sign the pledge, become an Avenger, and then once you're done with all that, flip over to U-Turn Parkinson's. And U-Turn Parkinson's is our, is our local charity here for helping people with Parkinson's live their best and get involved there. We, we need folks to volunteer. We need folks to tell their loved ones about what we do, the services we offer, and we need folks to get involved financially. COVID's been a rough time for us, and uh, we need folks to, to help us out if they can. So those three things, pdavengers.org, watch the movie, sign the pledge, and head over to U-TurnParkinson's.org and get involved with us here locally. Winnipeg's Tim Higgs Sr. joining us live on 680 CJOB talking about Parkinson's and PD Avengers. Tim, it is always such a pleasure and privilege to speak to you. Thank you for joining us this morning on The Start. Thank, thank you, guys. My pleasure. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is on vacation. One of the things we've been talking about today is school supplies. And you might be wondering, why are you talking about school supplies? Well, today, throughout the day on CJOB, we're going to be discussing back-to-school planning during increasing COVID numbers. And what are the conversations you're having heading back to school six weeks out? But for fun this morning, we thought we'd ask, what are your favorite school supplies? And we're going to give away a Santa Lucia pizza to one of our listeners, one of the many, many listeners who texted us. We thank you so much for all of these texts like this one. Not the winner, but this is a good one. The old Bic pens, you know, the long ones where you could pull out the, the ink center. Perfect for spitballs. Absolutely true. Uh, Kevin made a great point here, Greg, that um, 
I, I'm kind of with him here. He says, I loved buying school supplies. In fact, I still love it. I have an embarrassing amount of scribblers, packs of paper, pens, pencils, and such in my office now, especially when places like Staples have things on sale for super cheap. The weakest is the box of crayons. I still buy them because the smell takes me back to my elementary school days. I've got six boxes in my office as of right now, what? and I got to give them away. So I don't, I don't have quite that many things, but whenever I go to Staples, I'll go in for like one thing. I need a new pen or I need uh, some sort of a folder. But I always want to buy, like, everything. I was like, oh, I, I need 19 pens. Yeah, no problem. No. <laughs> That's I, At one point, I did have 19 pens uh, sitting on my desk, and I thought, what am I going to do with all these? But I think I lost them in one of my moves. So <laughs> I went looking for a pen, like, where did all my pens go? Well, think about how many of us have a cup full of pens that don't work. We're super reluctant to throw out pens. They're some form of currency or something. I think there was, uh, you were judged at some point about how many pens and pencils you had. I mentioned the re- re- Laurentian colored pencils and how, you know, if you had the 24 pack, you must be a rich kid. Mm. And uh, people talking about the 64 pack of Crayola crayons with the built-in sharpener. Now that was a big deal to have that. And then did Eve just mention the Crayola tower with like 64 wax crayons? Was that like a cube or something? Because the bigger one I remember was just like basically like eight... uh, eight boxes of eight crayons side by side and stacked on top of each other. I don't remember the Crayola tower. That rings a bell. Crayola. T- oh yes. Yeah. So it's like, a, it looks like a, like a carousel almost where the, the bottom row has a bunch and then there's a second inner row that has more crayons and then a, a third smaller row on top that has a few more crayons. But, oh, and another text that I loved was from Liz who said, good morning. I liked eating the peppermint flavored glue from elementary school. Guess that's why I can't buy it anymore that is great but we have to award the winner here greg you may do the honors to this anonymous listener we don't even know this person's name yeah that's true and you know oh oh, i always feel so bad just picking one because so many of them were in detail but this one made me laugh the loudest favorite school supply memory was erasers i think we read this one about 40 minutes ago i moved to manitoba from ontario when i was in junior high in the late 70s in ontario an eraser was called a rubber so imagine my embarrassment when in winnipeg i asked if anyone could lend me some rubbers and of course at that time rubber meant condoms thanks so much (laughs) for that honest text message you're getting way extra points for honesty and openness because that's what i was craving from our mayor this morning and didn't really get that from him so uh you, you caught me at a good time this really uh this really made me uh, connect with you, uh, listener, whose name uh, we do not have. We will find out that name. Congratulations. You have won yourself a large two-topping pizza from Santa Lucia. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.